Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Radio Show with Richard Talk to Me Guy, and Sherry Edwards is over there working on the Sound Health Portal, soundhealthportal.com. This is a really great article. Sherry did a workup for the coronavirus or COVID-19. And if you go to soundhealthportal.com and click on services and then campaigns, you'll see an excellent write-up by Sherry looking at the COVID-19. And there's also a demo, a video demo Sherry did using software on the portal. When I find the link, I'll put it in the show notes. I couldn't find it right before the show. But it's a great write-up. And the other thing you can do when you're there after you've read the COVID-19 or corona conflict write-up, you can then, if you go to services at the soundhealthportal.com, click on services and then click on campaigns. Campaigns are software packages that are for free trials. And two of my favorites, there are a number of them, but two of my favorites are neuroplasticity, which looks at how the brain is firing and the interactions and everything that's going on in the brain. And another is BioDiet. And you can sign up for a free account, do two 45-second recordings right through your computer. Better if you use a, a mic, even like the simple Samsung mic, Samsung Go, which is available at soundhealthoptions.com at the store. And you do two 45-second recordings, choose your campaign, neuroplasticity, bio diet, PTSD, golf. It's really true. By seeing what's too much or too little in your in your pattern, you can actually improve your golf game. It's amazing. So you submit those with the campaign and within a couple of hours to 24 hours, I've rarely had to wait more than 12. You'll get a report and I suggest you sit down with a cup of tea and review the report. You can take it to your healthcare practitioner of choice and go through the report with them. And again, It'll show in the report, it'll give you information so you can see if something is hypertonistic or too much or too high or hypotonistic, too little or too low. And sometimes, as I know our guest Jack Tips will talk about, it might have to do with the methylation cascade or your ability to assimilate. It may, if you have something that's too high, doesn't necessarily mean that you have too much of it it may mean that you have too much of it that can't be used in your system, so you're not assimilating. And same thing with too low. You may have it in there, but it's not getting into the system. And I know Jack will talk about that really well. So that's the sound health, That's all at soundhealthportal.com. And this show, with Jack Tips talking about liver health, or as I like to think of it as happy liver, is going to be one of those shows you're going to want to re-listen to and or share with your friends. And you can find the replay of this show about 15 minutes after I, you hear the extra mu- outro music. And you can find that at soundhealthoptions.com. Click on the radio tab. And there at the top of the page will be the link for this show with the show notes and all the links to Jack Tips material and a great video, which we'll talk about. Also, there's a link to Stitcher and to Pocket Casts, which are both podcast players or aggregators. Pocket Casts is my preferred one because it has a lot of features that I really like. You click on, uh, let's say, Pocket Casts, that link, that'll open up a page with this show at the top of the list. 
the podcast aggregators take a little longer, maybe half an hour to an hour to get the feed in there, sometimes faster, but I like to sort of think about 30 minutes. And you can click on that show and listen to it right in Pocket Cast, and or you can also share it right from there, which is great for those people that you know want to know about longevity, wellness, and a happy liver. Really, happy liver, good life. And with that, Wellness Whiz, Jack Tips, earned a Ph.D. in Nutrition Science from the Roger Williams School of Nutrition Science in Clayton, Missouri. He's also a naturopathic doctor, certified clinical nutritionist, classical homeopath, herbalist, and he's the author of 16 books. Wellness Whiz has dedicated his career to advancing the application of natural health practices and bringing to bear the latest research in his own clinic, as well as passing on his vast knowledge to others. His teaching style has been honed to cut through the scientific chatter to the true essence of the latest natural health research. As a natural health consultant, Wellness Tips has touched the lives of thousands of people with his keen insights and foundational belief that he stands in service to the body's innate vitality from which optimal health originates. Jack joins us today to discuss your lover, your lifeline. Welcome, Jack. Well, howdy, Richard, and hello, everyone. It's such a pleasure to get to visit. You know, in our natural health world, we we live in a state of excitement about what we do and what we see and how great it is to be healthy, and it's always uh, not only an honor but an immense pleasure to be able to speak a little bit and 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 share the the fruit of our labor and and what we study you know and you were mentioning there uh, in the start about cutting through the scientific chatter and i was really thinking about that point as someone has asked me to do a webinar on the coronavirus uh, next week mm-hmm. and i thought after all the research that i've looked at and the conspiracy theories and is it a you know, a military biological weapon or why Wuhan and the, you know, the bamboo curtain that was thrown over it and all this stuff that goes on and on and on. What it really boils down to is um, we, we need to know what we can do for ourselves and what we can do for our family. And, you know, we can then talk about some of the, the spacious assumptions of herd immunity and how, um, you know, you know, vaccination will be brought out. It won't be tested and won't be, you know, watched very closely on the adjuvants and on and on and on and everybody's campaign. And I thought, what a great way to start off because after you might say a thousand hours of of study and preparation, it can boil down to you need to take a little more vitamin C right now. You need to improve your vitamin D3. Um, you can look at um, taking, um, I think there's a couple things on my mind, but a little vitamin A would be very important. And to know this, that the, the great homeopathic medical doctors from all over the world participate in a forum to find what's called the genus epidemicus, of any viral issue, uh, they do it every year for the flu and release uh, a, a natural remedy called Influenzinum, and they're on top of the coronavirus. And right now, the genus Epidemicus remedy is Gelsimian. 
the second, the, the contender, is Bryonia. And third on the list is Eupatorium perfoliatum. And I thought, well, if I wanted to be prepared, and I do, because in natural health we know it's not so much about herd immunity as it is about individual immunity. And what are we going to do if we get the virus? Can't we be one of the ones that, oh, it was just a mild case of the flu and not one of the ones that it's the end of the road? And so that base is on our ability to respond to it. Vitamin D3, vitamin A, vitamin C. Um, red algae shows to have a therapeutic effect and very good science about handling this. And, of course, it'd be good to have a little bit of the, the genus epidemicus remedy, Jessimian, around where if, if it comes to your neighborhood, you're able to use it prophylactically and you're able to use it frequently and give your body every opportunity to not succumb to this. And we don't have to live in fear. We live in supporting our personal integrity. So good morning, Richard. <laughs> so great to visit with you and your, your lovely audience. Well, that's so perfect because that was one of my early on questions is <laughs> this will lead into what we're ultimately talking about is detox. I mean, if we regularly do your detox program, which is not horrific, everybody, just relax. Don't worry. It's really not. It's just a regular taking care of, you know, it's like painting the house. You know, everybody's sort of like, oh, I have to paint the house. Well, we be kind to our liver. Our liver is only like, you know, <laughs> one of the major organs in our body. And right, so I'll that, to that. Right, exactly. <laughs> if we if we maintain our liver, if we have a healthy immune system, aren't we more likely to be able to resist such a thing as the coronavirus? You know, uh, people don't really think of the liver as in their immune system. You know, they think of their thymus and the white cells and the spleen and the bone marrow. But hey, the liver is a huge part of your immune system and has these little cells called Kupfer cells that, are, that destroy bad bacteria all day long. And they also can tackle viruses. And, um, you know, so the, the liver is a, a giant part of the immune system. And I loved it when you said, like, paint the house. People think, oh, detox, I'm going to feel headachey and I'm going to feel so miserable and you really don't have to you can do a little uh, you might say detox support every day because the beauty of the liver it was made in your body to be doing all this detox work so instead of forcing a lot of chemicals and mercury and environmental toxins and that horrible uh, glyphosate pesticides mm. and all these things out of your cells and flooding your body and feeling miserable, all we really have to do is crank up the efficiency of our liver. So uh, like your car, it's nice to get the spark plugs changed or, you know, get a little clean oil in it now and then and it just pours right along. Um, you, you know, we can just support our liver and then let the liver do what it's made to do. And, of course, we have to recognize that today there's this massive onslaught of pesticides in the foods, the environmental uh, chemicals that are in the air. And all we have to do is go back and look at Wuhan, China, and realize that they were one of the most polluted 
cities that they've been having protests in the streets for a few years now about the quality of the air. And it was just seems to be a directive by their government that in order to pull them their society up by the bootstraps, they don't have caps on industry pollution. And they can be cranking out all this toxic plastic that they then ship into the mm. U.S. for our children's toys and uh, water bottles <laughs> and all this type of thing. But that uh, talk about a susceptible people for respiratory complaints. Um, so anyway, that's their business. You know, it's a little bit our business because it is a, a, a global planet, and we all we all suffer because of their decisions. But that's just where we are in our, let's say, evolution as a a, a species. But um, there we go. What can we do to maintain a good liver, and then to have? Um, some kind of rhythm of supporting detox in a time when every sip of tap water, every bite of food, and I almost sound like I'm, um, you know, a, a bit extreme. You know, every bite of food has some toxin in it now um, in, in this type of thing, you see, because it's, you know, the, even on the organic orchards, uh, they have to use the water <laughs> out of the ground, or they're using the rain that falls through the dirty air. And so we're all in this global, earthly birdcage together, and everybody's crapping on the newspaper, and no one's changing <laughs> the newspaper. So we really have to take personal responsibility and say, you know, it is. It is an unprecedented level of global toxicity of a huge variety, past challenges, volcano well, I erupts, of, I, I, I think sulfur the, dioxide um, into the air. Now yeah. we have a global uh, toxin. Okay, one. <laughs> but today it's not uh, exaggerating to say there's more than 10,000 toxins that can be linked with cancer, uh, troubling our cellular metabolic processes. But what, how wondrously made is our human body that we are able to maintain some semblance of health. Again, every sip of tap water, every bite of food, every breath of air can put an additional toxic burden on our liver, impinge our immune system, and cause poor health. So our, our little voice here in natural health is, hey, let's support these processes and let the body work as it was intended. So that's really what we're about today, I think. And is this, I could go so many directions. I, I have to throw out, I want to ask you about fatty liver, but I really have to toss out that I, for me, one of the big, uh, this is such a bad metaphor, but I can't help myself. The poster child to me of the indicator of the total toxic load of the planet was when Fukushima plant had the meltdown. And then suddenly, that was uh, Sherry wrote software to monitor that in vocal prints to see if people were being exposed or had levels of radiation very early on. And you could watch it travel across the United States in a certain way. And that's just right. the United States. And it was everywhere. I mean, radiation is gnarly. It makes glyphosate look like a cakewalk. Not true. radiation I mean, turned up in the school children's milk in yeah. Vermont. 
and Ben and Jerry's ice cream. You know, right. it's turned up in Florida. Uh, so you're, right, you're exactly right. The cloud and the movement of radiation from Fukushima, the media dropped a story because it became ho-hum, but that didn't stop yeah. Fukushima from spewing into the Pacific Ocean and getting into basically a good percentage of the global fish supply. Right. And it comes washing up on Alaska and California and Oregon and Washington. Right. Shores ripped up in the air and drifts across the U.S. And, you know, so we all have a, a radiation issue uh, as something that we're doing today uh, with, our, with our human race that we're, we're flirting with. You know, we have a lot of radioactive materials that are driving around on trucks now because every doctor's office needs, uh, every chemo office needs some good nukes, you know, and those have to be transported. So the trains and the planes that you might be sitting on, the trucks, uh, accidents happen, uh, you know, somebody breaks what they call the pig that holds the the radioactive materials. You've just got a lot, a lot, a lot of people dealing with that and so it's become something that anybody no matter how isolated you think you are you can be having uh, an impact of nuclear radiation which is just oxidative damage uh, to your mitochondria your energy producing organelles within your cells and and your your dna right it, it's amazing okay now <laughs> is this part of the I wanted to ask you about the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease that seems to be – or has been for quite some time. I'm certain you've been tracking this for much longer. But it's really been lighting up in the natural health media. Is, right. do you, is that partially from everything that we've just talked about? Of is course. That a contributor to um, okay. You know, it's like the – the liver got to be old hat. Back in the 1980s, we talked about the liver a lot in natural health. And we were launching in those days, you know, liver rejuvenative, liver detox supports and uh, different uh, techniques and things that could just help cleanse the liver so the body could be healthy. And that first stems from... The liver we could call a vector, or we could call the liver the hub of so many, many systems in the body. We've already mentioned the immune system, but it's also the endocrine system. The liver reconjugates estrogens, and when someone gets an estrogenic cancer, it's often the failure of the liver to handle the 4-OH form of estrogen. And you say, well, why didn't the liver handle that? Well, because we've got our livers on crutches, <laughs> you know, their leg in a cast, and they're trying to <laughs> run down the field and catch the football. So uh, this is why this is all so important. But, yeah, if people aren't that familiar with non-alcoholic uh, fatty liver disease, it's really skyrocketed. And, um, but it's only natural that as we – it's a reminder that even when we read in the media that perhaps Los Angeles has less smog than it used to, and we go, okay, we're cleaning up the environment. That's not the only metric. And you, know, you may not have the smog, um, but you've got, like I said, 10,000 other things challenging the liver. So what we're really seeing is uh, significant, like a, a, maybe as many as two-thirds 
of the population are working on something called fatty liver disease, which occurs when the liver will push toxins into fats and the fats um, oxidize because of all the free radical damage that's involved in how the liver functions. Uh, many people, Richard, don't understand that the body can take a poison and it makes it more poisonous before it neutralizes it. So this is your old story of phase one, phase two, liver detoxification. But alcohol is a good topic for that because it turns your your liver will turn it into acetyl alkaloids, and those have to be broken down by enzymatic systems, and and eventually just turns into acetate. And there's two steps in the enzyme system. So those are governed by our genes. And But the liver will make alcohol worse with acetaldehyde before it fixes it quickly. It's like nature says, well, I have to cleave this molecule. Oh, but that's going to really create this radical molecule that's just horrible. But, hey, I've got all the resources, and I can quench that molecule quickly. Well, when our livers are overburdened by the environment and that system runs slow, we get what's called pathological detoxification. The the phase one will break something down or certain phases of phase two liver, but then now we're stuck with this lingering poison that's maybe 30 times worse than the original poison but now we're a little bit slow to get that broken down into and make it benign where it can pass out either you know back through the uh, gallbladder uh, into the intestines or go to the kidneys for out through the the urine and so people are lingering more with these terrible molecules from breaking down so many of these chemicals such as such as the glyphosate roundup pesticide other pesticides or certainly in there we just talk about glyphosate a lot because of all the subterfuge of the uh, Bear Monsanto uh, folks. Mm-hmm. But um, we're looking at this slow erosion, and so the liver becomes a little fatty. A free radical burns into that a little bit, and all of a sudden we realize we have more toxic fat in a liver, then we have liver cells to really handle all this work. And so we succumb slowly. And for the most part, it's painless. Um, it's just a slow aging of the liver and the deterioration. So um, oh, way back in the 80s, I wrote that little booklet that I think you're familiar with, Richard, mm-hmm. uh, called Your Liver, Your Lifeline. And that was just one of the the, the first books to say that your liver health is a function of your is a foundation of your lifespan, and I thought it was wonderful that the um, American Heart Association uh, came out with, oh, you can live 13 years longer if you do some natural things, and uh, they wouldn't say what to do, but it was things like get better sleep, get more exercise, eat your vegetables. You know, and it was general guidance like that. But now when we talk about longevity, we have hard science, good hard science, saying we can actually extend our lifespans, not 
not in the wheelchair, you know, we're sitting on the front porch in the rocker swatting flies and putting vapor rub on our chest or something that, you know, <laughs> it's popular for old people. We can extend quality 13 years. So when we talk about living long, it's all theoretical, but now science and medicine are saying, sure, you can add 13 years to your life. Well, the pivotal point of that's the liver. And so we say your liver, your lifeline. It's amazing the idea of we talk about people are living longer, but it doesn't. It currently it doesn't necessarily mean they're living better. Like I think I'll go back to I know the audience is tired of hearing about my grandparents. However, my grandmother lived to be 106, and she was she died in the 80s. So that means that she actually was old enough that she came across the United States in a wagon and lived in Salt Lake for the remainder of her life. They moved to Salt Lake. And they grew most of their own food. They grew their own animals. They, you know, they, they didn't know what the word organic was. Was your, um, was your grandmother uh, LDS? Yes, she was. Yep. Okay. Yeah, because statistically, according to the World Health Organization, um, LDS people live longer. Right. And that, that goes back to the fact that uh, the Mormons um, were very much in tune with diet and nutrition. It was, it was foundational. And, of course, uh, I've, I've read some of the older text of, uh, herbal texts that involved um, you know, some Brigham Young uh, recipes and things, employing uh, herbs and so forth. The same thing for Seventh-day Advent, that their statistics show they live longer. And um, you know, they're, they're strict vegetarians, where the Mormons are not so much the vegetarians. So it's, it's not, I'm not making a case of vegetarianism versus carnivorism. I'm just saying that there's certain lifestyles, and when the more that they focus, like you're saying, Richard, life on the farm, the, the fresh meat, the fresh produce, um, the healthy water, the clean air, these things do have a bearing. And I, I remember hearing a, a lecture by a, a lady called Wellness Mama, and she has a huge following, you know, multi-millions of people that follow her website. And she said the emotional connection that launched her website was when she read these, the now scientific statistics that her children would not live as long as she will live. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to know why. Why would we not maintain? Why would we not figure out with all this great science a way that we could live longer in good health? So she dedicated a lot of her blogging, I guess we'll call it a blog, and web presence to uh, mentioning that there's more healthy, natural alternatives to things like toothpaste and deodorant and cooking oil and everything in the bailiwick that she brought up. But that's the thing. We have to go look at our children now in the eye and say, I may live to be 106 or I may live to be 95 or whatever, but you're not going to make it that long now. And the child would say, well, why? We have antibiotics, we have all these drugs, and we have to admit that we as a species have basically done what we've done to the planet for our convenience 
and that the level of toxicity that's impacting our livers are going to shorten, or now officially, statistically, shorting, shortening human lifespan. That's how important our talk is today. We've got to do something to support our liver so we can live long and healthy and teach our children to live long and healthy and the, the practices that do that so maybe, hopefully, somewhere we can make the fundamental changes in our planet and our lifestyle that allows and facilitates a, a, a deeper reverence for health, a, a reverence for health and the quality of life experience it gives uh, needs to be placed over, I think, the profit motive. Everybody can win, win, win. I'm not against people making profit and people having affluent lifestyles. But we've got to look at the cost. And right now, the cost is on the liver and shortening lifespan. One thing that I, I, I do, and that people may have figured out now that um, I've been around 70 years, and so a lot of my work, you know, was established in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And But um, it's important to realize that where some people, as they get older, just kind of lock into what they know and do. Um, I've had to be a researcher, and so I've been an early adapter to, to gene testing. And um, I'm, I'm quite enthralled with DNA reporting and, and genetic testing, particularly with the liver, because now suddenly where we had theories or we had blood tests like uh, AST, ALT, GGT, and uh, those are nonspecific blood markers that, in, that greatly point, suggest about the liver, but now we can actually look at a person's uh, predisposing gene profile like for phase one we're looking at the the cyp1a and 2a and 3a uh, genes and we can look at phase two and this is our story right phase one we don't want it to make something more toxic than phase two can handle and so we have our methylation which i know you've talked and covered on your show all the mthfr and mthfd you know mtr mtr others there's many genes that are involved in methylation, and there's there's other words that people maybe get a little intimidated about, like glucuronidation and the you know UGT one A one genes or acetylation, which is your NAT genes or sulfation, which is your SULT, and probably people are most familiar with the sulfation genes and that the sulfur bearing amino acids are so important, or glutathione and and then a lot of people, if they were grounded in some liver studies or information in the older days, they may not have heard that there's a liver phase three. And this is a new finding. Uh, what is your liver phase three? Your CYP3A4 genes and things like that, what do they do? <laughs> They've found that these are the genes that detoxify prescription medication. Now, wow. hold the phone. If phase one is detoxifying a lot of water-soluble poisons. And phase two is detoxifying a lot of tougher poisons and the fat-soluble poisons. And we find phase three is for, do we use the P word again? <laughs> Prescription <laughs> medication poison. We actually now have identified genes that tell us, uh, as clear as a bell, 
drugs are poisonous. You know, so we have to might question why do we use poisonous drugs to make the body healthy? That's an old old campaign. Now that I could have said back in the eighties. But the the phase three genes now can be monitored, and this is a beautiful gene because this is the business model of big pharma. They look at the rate that the, the prescription medications can be broken down in the human body and that gives them how frequently they have to redose. So when a person starts prescription medications, they start engaging their liver in more stress. Now, they, the liver says, this is a poison, I have to break it down. Now you have to take another dose to suppress that disease and another dose. And so this is a toxic burden along with whether, you know, in our natural health beliefs and backed up by science that's not always put out forth to the public, the mercury and the dental fillings, the, mm. the pesticide drift in the air, all these things that alarm us, the, um, the, the fearfulness now around 5G, uh, another oscillating radiation that we know can damage scientifically the mitochondria to make energy, and yet I'm cynical, but I'm thinking we're going to turn into a 5G planet. And I'm not talking about all the spy techniques of now how institutions can spy on the individual and use artificial intelligence to predict who they are, what they do, and what their beliefs are because of 5G. But every no one's asking if you want it or not. And it, it, it can damage the cells. Well, these are the cells that make the energy that makes the liver be able to do its detoxification. So while we, we keep struggling to make the planet healthy and safe for our children, we're, we're, we're being undermined by, because these larger corporations are so big and powerful and can spin. And so I was watching, I admit it, the Super Bowl, and um, hmm. here comes the commercial. I don't know if it was T-Mobile or, or who did it, uh, Verizon, I think, but it was like, we're going to broadcast the most powerful 5G all across the United States. And I'm going, holy cow. And so I mentioned it to some people, you know, Super Bowl party, and nobody was even familiar that there was any concern with 5G. And, and so the, the information is effectively being suppressed. And that's where the natural health voice comes forth and tries to at least be the candle under the bushel, be the voice in the wilderness and say, here's some reputable science, here is some legitimate concern, and, oh, by the way, you know, Switzerland just banned 5G, it's on a moratorium, it's not gone. And then people say, oh, but I want my convenience, I want my faster internet, and I want to be able to use my cell phone and tell my oven to turn on, and, <laughs> and things like that. And oh, that's beautiful advancements. Gosh, I mean, how much fun is having that much convenience and control over our lives? But... At what cost? And so the answer 
in case people are saying, well, all, all people do in natural health is talk about problems, but they don't have any solutions. Well, the solution probably goes back to hardwire. Bring in your 5G signal to your house. Now it's lickety split fast, fiber optic cable and all that, but you're just going to do the plug-in and you're not going to live under the Wi-Fi. And so there, there are ways that we need to evolve our society to protect our livers and to protect our lives. Anyway, I can carry on, Richard. I'm going to toss this back to you a little bit. And, um, <laughs> but I just wanted to mention that even the latest, greatest research and the trend toward gene testing now can show us an individual's predisposition. If you want to know how much coffee you can drink, is one cup good? Is two cups better? Or is two cups damaging? Can you do three? That's in your genes. We can look at the genes and know how much coffee you should drink. We can look at the genes because we see this conflicting research. Oh, one glass of wine is great. You're going to have less Alzheimer's, less neurodegenerative disease. Um, there's all this research now. Of course, it's paid for by the wine industry. But um, that, that science now shows that a, a wee bit of alcohol is good for many people. But it very quickly goes to too much being bad. And how do we know? And what do we do? And so, again, it's in the genes. There's alcohol detox genes. And if you have what's called SNPs and you're impaired, um, you know, some people are four-cylinder cars trying to pull a trailer up to the Continental Divide. Other people are... Ferraris, <laughs> carburetors tuned for altitude, and they can zip right over that continental divide. See, we each have different strengths and weaknesses. But there's one thing that we can all do to extend our lifespan, extend our health, our healthy years, the fun years, is look at our livers. It's the hub. So, you know, people are doing things for their adrenals and their thyroid, um, their brains, and these are all fun. But we've got to we've got to stay because the core message of natural health, at least in my lifetime of more than fifty years, because when I started, I was reading fifty year old text. Last hundred years, it's been the importance of the liver, and that will not go away. So this is a chance we come back to the grassroots. Let's let's get our livers working. Well, and that's and that's. I have so much to say about uh, hardwire your computer. That's all I'm going to say. I could we could do a whole show just talking about that. Just hardwire your system in your home. Don't have any electronics in the room that you sleep in. Don't have any Wi-Fi in the room you sleep in. Don't do it. Just hardwire everything. That'll reduce the toxic load tremendously. I'll pause there. Um, People don't understand that these uh, electromagnetic fields, and you know, have to think. Well, we started back in the I think late 1930s with uh, the rudiments of radar and um, you know but all of our cities now we have massive radar arrays uh, for uh, airline travel uh, police are out this is ionizing radiation this is worse <laughs> we have police shooting you with um, ionizing radiation when you drive down the street and I'm, my heart goes out I don't appreciate being shot with a radar beam uh, to see if my speed is a mile or two too fast, but um, which it usually is. But um, 
I'm all for public safety, but I'm concerned about the policemen because these are dedicated people who've not been told the truth. And the, the TSA people who are running the scanners at the airport and so forth. So we, we just get immersed in this, and um, the, the science is pointing that these electromagnetic fields, while we're, we, we say we're getting away with it, we, we look at uh, plants growing under a power line and going, well, that energy is not hurting plants, but they don't have the same life processes. And we go, well, people aren't dropping over every day from some kind of radiation, uh, but some are. And um, But now we start seeing the research that who's the early adapter? And it's bacteria. They're, they're the, the bugs, the bacteria, um, are master survivalist, and now there's some pretty clear research. I've heard about it for years, and now I found it. But there's research saying that we are changing the bacteria, like E. coli, to be more uh, damaging, more pathogenic, and they're quicker to build biofilms. So, see, a happy planktonic bacteria is going to float around and free and independent and and so forth, but when you start threatening that bacteria quorum senses, it tells the other bacteria, we're under threat, guys, let's band together, you know, dig out your you know, claymore sword from under the hut floor and polish it up. We've got we've to gotta get ready to defend ourselves. And so they're finding now that they're quicker to build biofilms uh, for their own protection, and they're quicker to quorum sense. So the research, by the way, is saying that E. coli now is more antibiotic resistant. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the research was done by exposing the bacteria to Wi-Fi frequencies. <laughs> so it's wow. not in this case, it's not a medication. It's that these energy frequencies are disturbing, and so we disturb the DNA of the bacteria. It has certain behavior, but we're more resilient, and certainly the human being has been exposed to radiation from the sun um, forever, and so we have certain adaptable characteristics, and so this is not gloom and doom, because within ourselves, we have the ability to heal, heal radiation damage. You know, chlorella research uh, and spirulina showed uh, after... Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that some people were exempt from the terrible radiation poisoning and that uh, certain doctors treated people with the chlorellas and the spirulinas um, and got recovery. And so the cells can have repair mechanisms. The molecule called tocotrienol, uh, there's four of them in a vitamin D, I'm sorry, vitamin E molecule, and it's what's been left out of the natural health vitamin E for 100 years now. Um, these are molecules that help repair radiation damage. So there's nothing that we can't improve in our, na- in our natural health model to some extent. It's just that we keep pushing the boundaries of what can a human being do. So you brought up the subject I wasn't planning on shooting my mouth off so much on uh, EMFs and radiation, but um, the research is compelling. It's that we don't want to hear it, and the companies that make the billions off of our cell phones and Wi-Fis 
uh, certainly don't want anybody changing their business model. But think of this, next time, uh, you know, think of poor me when I go out and lecture and I'm in a hotel in the middle of a city and I turn my computer on and I'm looking at there's 43 Wi-Fi signals coming through my room because the skyscraper across the street, every floor, every business has their Wi-Fi running and it spills over. Every room in the hotel may have a Roku that is broadcasting a Wi-Fi signal and for the remote uh, to turn the TV on and off, and it's just one after another after another. Now, these oscillations jangle human DNA, and what science is not really focused on is our DNA is a resonance field. That double helix and the way our DNA is figured, you can think of a wire, a guitar string, and there's, there's, there's molecular and atomic resonance fields. And so when we start bringing in, you know, first we brought in the TV and everybody had radio. Nobody, you know, fell over listening to AM radio. And then we go to FM and we keep moving through the, the wavelength bands. But now we have people that are estranged from the Earth's magnetic residence. Uh, resonance <laughs> and residence but um hmm. uh, so we, we just need to have we should be having oversight and we should be looking uh unfortunately right now for humanity we're embracing our, our comfort and convenience and and science as being trustworthy that people will will consider that but we've set the game up that it's only about profit motive and so We've gotten our, our feet into the fire, and now we're heads in the sand. Okay, Richard, uh, <laughs> uh, I think I wanted to summarize something on uh, why I'm in love with gene testing. And, of course, uh, I've helped uh, a, a certain gene test uh, come into being now. It's the entire genome. Uh, about 25,000 genes is what we're sequencing, and that is absolute privacy for the individual. So everything is encrypted, barcoded, and the only person that we allow access to the data is the individual who can then share it with their doctor. <laughs> so that's the, uh, the thing on uh, the, the gene testing, but it's, it's called a, a word people should know, actionable genes. Actionable genes means there is science that says that taking vitamin uh, methylcobalamin will favorably impact your health if you have the MTHFR SNPs. And so rather than spaciously saying, oh, I could think of 250 genes that we could quickly look at that have something to do with the liver, maybe only about 150 of those are actionable. And science just hadn't had time to look at all the others. So um, it's nice to have those sequenced, but when um, a person makes a recommendation or, or takes action on their genes, uh, they really need to understand that it's all about epigenetics, not genetics. And genetics, whatever you have is what you have, but why don't you maximize what you have? And you can do that epigenetically, which means how your body interprets your genome and tells your cells what proteins to make to run your metabolism. If you have a weakness 
you can do basic things. You can take supplements. You can eat foods. You can avoid certain lifestyle factors. You can exercise. And all of a sudden, we find everything we've been talking about for our liver and for our natural health lifestyle that we can all smile, whatever we think the short end of the stick we get in our genes, we just need to maximize what we have because if we started out somewhere in our past and we had great health, we have a right and we have a birthright that we can maintain that better if we follow the rules of natural health because all of these gene research studies um, in, that I'm speaking to are not involving what drug suppresses your symptom and leaves your symptom in place. It's about epigenetically, how do you go back and live in your most optimal health? One of the best things a person can do right now, right today, is start looking at what can I do to support my liver. And, and then we let, turn, well, what does the liver want? What in nature does the liver really seek? And some of the, it's going to be food and herbs. <laughs> That's just where, where it is. And, and sometimes proteins, and so we can do the carnivore thing and say, yep, some of the amino acids in animal foods uh, definitely have a big role in helping the liver perform. And if someone's just a staunch vegetarian, um, I'm, I'm not saying that they can't do it all with the herbs and the foods. But I wanted to open up the, the subject there to the full array of a hunter-gatherer species. We're built on um, you know, organic meat-eating, uh, a little hunter-gatherer uh, secondarily um, for the, the tubers and the roots and then herbs being uh, what Doc Wheelwright back in the 1980s used to say, the herbs are God's medicines, meaning that they're they're filling niches in nature that uh, help us. And in case anyone's wondering, um, milk thistle, chanka piedra, celandine, dandelion, turmeric, you probably recognize these words, yellow dock, peppermint, even mountain mahogany, uh, boratutu bark, uh, green tea, and for some people's genes, even a little coffee. It can all be wonderful things to support the liver, and a grass-fed organic desiccated liver would certainly be a food because no longer do people eat liver uh, at the store. We have now two or three generations that have shunned liver, and if you look at old photographs of the old general store, you used to be able to go in and you know buy a buffalo liver or cow liver or something, and, and that went on the table, and today we don't do that. Was it uh, was it Adele? Who was it that had us uh, take liver, make what I would call liver snaps? There was, I want to say Adele Davis, but I don't think I that's think right. I think you're right on that. You know, they would have you slice liver and freeze it and give it to the kids as like something to chew on. Um, but that's like old-timey. <laughs> yeah, that's like the new, uh, that got replaced with fruit leather and gummy yeah. worms. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And back then it was grass. So we've, we've changed our, yeah. our diet, we've changed our environment, people suffer, and now we reach to the natural health people for optimizing vitamin D3, making sure we have vitamin A. Um, vitamin A is being sorely neglected now um, because the synthetic version 
uh, causes damage, just like synthetic vitamin E causes damage, and they don't understand the the natural vitamins. Um, selenium and molybdenum are often needed. Of course, glutathione and phosphatidylcholine and alpha lipoic acid. All these are supplements that your your clinical nutritionist might want to give to help uh, uh, boost the liver. And these are the things that come out of uh, what we call actionable genes that our bodies are craving a a touch of um, turmeric. And then people go out and buy uh, curcumin as an expensive supplement and they don't get any assimilation. And then we find that if we go back into Ayurveda and the East Indian cuisine, the old curry recipe had it all figured out. The factors that make turmeric a brilliant herb for your liver, that make turmeric a brilliant herb for your glymphatic system of your brain and get your brain washed out from all the toxins and the things that can cause Alzheimer's. Um and cognitive dysfunction. So there's a huge movement now to get the turmeric, and I recommend people get a little piece of organic turmeric and get it in the ground in your backyard or in a in a flower pot on your apartment balcony and, and start growing your own rhizomes. And uh, the secret recipe there, by the way, was you heat it a little bit. So just like uh, some things don't work unless they're heated, uh, turmeric is one of those. Um, people might think of more in the cannabis culture and making better that, you know, the, the cannabis doesn't work from the old days unless you heated it. Um, they found that um, black pepper uh, helps it assimilate. Um, going lithospheric, maybe like phosphatidylcholine or, or, or fat, we'll just say right now fat, helps turmeric assimilate, uh, and so some foods, cauliflower and capers, are, are particularly uh, maybe rich in some quercetin, or quercetin uh, can be added, and, and fermenting. So you can take your root of turmeric that you can buy at the health food store because you want it organic, cut it up into little wheels, put some salt and lemon juice on it, let it sit in the refrigerator a day, and start eating a wheel a day, because as it ferments and the bacteria work on it, the assimilation goes up. So now we go back to the old curry recipe. They cooked it. <laughs> they had pepper in it. They had fat, coconut, right, coconut milk. They had fat in it. They often would put curry with cauliflower and other ingredients. That And how did that evolve? Was it all culinary or was it, over time, humanity learned right there in the kitchen how the the pot herbs, uh, the things that we eat as food, can be optimized for our good health. And so it's like for thousands of years, the good old curry recipe was delivering health and longevity and maximizing the turmeric root. Anyway, I hope that's fun. I, I sometimes I marvel because we went through a phase in our society where we didn't we don't want to trust the old remedies. That's superstitious. Oh, herbs don't work. And yet now we see the swing back, herbs do work. <laughs> <laughs> they work better than uh drugs. 
Yeah. So when we look at things, even ginger, turmeric, uh, black cohosh, uh, these all work better than any prescription on the market. And the science says that. It's not me being an herbalist saying, oh, good, you know, we want to pretend we're better when we're not. Right. Um, but there's a place for everybody. I don't want to be too elitist. Um, believe me, if I um, have a terrible injury, I would like to have the synthetic um, opium poppy given to me so I don't suffer in agony. And that um, the beautiful surgeries and triage of medicine, I, I never want anyone to feel that, that the life-saving people that were denigrating the wonders of modern medicine, the the issue seems to come that somehow the American public has forgotten that their bodies can heal themselves, that they don't have to be taking a suppressive drug that never gets them well. The number one question for the physician is, doctor, in giving me this herb, I'm sorry, <laughs> doctor, in giving me this yeah. this drug, uh, uh, how long do I have to take it before I'm cured? And the answer is, oh, you have to take metformin for life. You have to take uh, levothyroxine for life. Oh, you have to, you know, you'll be taking this medication forever, this blood pressure medication or this cholesterol medication and so forth. And you go, well, wait a minute. I thought I was coming to someone dedicated to healing and not just suppressing disease. Right. So we go over to the natural health side, and it's all about healing. And people have forgotten this. They don't believe well, never that once heard. they're diagnosed to have a condition, that it's time to to stop, right. stop and supporting I've... the cause, right, and correct the cause, and let the body and its infinite wisdom, <laughs> and its innate ability, get you back on track. And so that's 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 the big message, and why I think you know it's despite the persecution. And I, I observed a, a registered nurse once in, in interviewing a patient um, about, are, are you taking any vitamins or herbs? Like, you know, mm-hmm. are you eating something chewy out of the cat box? And, you know, she had her nose turned up and was making such a grimace about, oh, would you, would you be so stupid as to do anything like that? It makes the patient feel bad that they... They wanted Granny's chicken soup, or they wanted some curry, or or something like that. See, so we've really gotten topsy turvy, and so uh, thank you. What this is, Richard, it's a thank you for you and your your radio show, and and a blessing to all people listening to it that you can get this message that um, there is another way, and that there is a viable way. When I was growing up, herbs were considered second best. And I have to admit, one time I had uh, the eclectic healer, Doc Wheelwright, on stage, and I'd used mm-hmm. a golden seal formula. And I said, you know, his formula is so good, it almost works as good as an antibiotic. Well, he grabbed my arm and pinched me hard, <laughs> and he wouldn't let me go. And I had to stand up there becoming red-faced while he said, let me get something straight. Properly... Proper herbs for proper genetics can work better than any medication. And I had to stand there, like I said, red-faced and embarrassed, as he pointed out that 
well, if, if the golden seal didn't work better for that sinus infection or that earache for that the screaming child with the ear pain, then there was something else that would have, and it would be it would have been my job to know, or to to do, as an herbalist to find the right thing for that individual, and so I had that much chagrin with him, and I you know I bless him for that that lesson, but today. Uh, science is showing us the herbs work better. So this is not a, a heretic statement. Um, and I, I have this little blog called quirkyhealthtips.com, and I have now posted five herbs there that work better than any medication according to science. So you see, we've taken the true medicines for humanity uh, ignored them first as superstitious, now directly attacking them because we recognize that they do work and they work very well and it's not superstition, uh, misery of the dark ages uh, <laughs> to be using the, the medicines to which our bodies are attuned. So there's a soapbox for you, Richard. <laughs> no, the great, no, the next off in the wrong direction. I, I have to toss in... And then I have a question from chat, but I have to say that as an herbalist also, and having had an an herb store and a national mail order catalog in the early 90s selling herbs, that in no, ever since then till now, have I ever heard the term, take a medication, it has long-term beneficial effects, like we would say of ginseng or astragalus or any of the number of tonic herbs. There is no concept that I know of in Western medicine that is, oh, long-term beneficial effect. Take this statin. It'll be good for you in the long run. No. <laughs> I say well, you that. can't get that if you're robbing the coenzyme Q10 out of the liver with a statin drug that's going to leave your liver creating fatty degenerative liver. <laughs> and we're going to tie it right back into what we're supposed to be talking about. Your <laughs> no. <laughs> alcoholic fatty liver disease is a loss of coenzyme Q10 from the cells, loss of its innate uh, antioxidant power. And um, and if you're on a statin, you're, you're, you're destroying your coenzyme Q10. And, um, you know, that's not hearsay, that's science. And so we have to wonder, and they'll say, well, maybe there's long-term benefit, but there is no cure. And um, uh, there is some flirting with uh, low-dose naltrexone and metformin as right. medications. And again, I, I try to keep an open mind on that, um, something that was very toxic in a high dose, but it's supposed to be good for you in a very low dose. That's the naltrexone. And then the metformin regulating glucose um, at the cell membrane level is something that uh, certainly keeps people away from the syndrome X or metabolic syndrome, um, gets a reprieve there. And I think you'll find, like with life extension research, um, they'll, they'll say some of that. You know, and, you know, so we don't want to be silly and not do a good thing because the, the body is indeed uh, complex. So I don't like uh, absolutes. But um, in case anyone's wondering, I've not had a medication or an antibiotic in 63 years so far. And um, <clears throat> But if I was on my death's bed with uh, a pneumonia, um, and it's, well, Jack, do you want to continue living and enjoying what your family is doing and 
watching the grandchildren get grandchildren and things like that, and the only way we can save you right now is with this antibiotic, um, uh, you know, there comes a point where we don't want to throw out anything that's good and we don't want to have our judgment clouded by a philosophy or a belief that serves us wrongly. But you're, you're so right, Richard, that um, I, I feel like I've earned the right to respond to herbs and natural therapies by basically keeping my uh, liver more healthy. And um, in case people are wondering, too, I don't want to ever be a, a kind of a wolf in sheep's clothing. I'll, I'll enjoy uh, a glass of wine now and then. I'm not talking about, oh, I'm some kind of health nut living a life of deprivation. You know, that all I can do is fast and eat wheat germ or <laughs> that's out of vogue now too, but it used to be. Right. Anyway, um, that it, we, we all everywhere in life need to have open minds and consider things on their own merits. Right. If we really look at the, the practice of medicine, there's very few merits for the um, – the, the metabolic controlling drugs, and just mentioning that the um, the herb boswellia has shown now in mm. studies to outperform all uh, antidepressant drugs. So it was a, it's a very detailed medical study out of India, and so again, uh, boswellia is one of their Ayurvedic, one of their traditions, and and they uh, in India they do a lot more research on their traditional herbs, whereas it's not really allowed in the United States because you know all the funding comes from big pharma, and maybe we get a study out of a university level, and then it'll be swept under the rug, even though it may be posted. Um, on PLOS One, or it may be posted even in JAMA, a Journal of American Medical Association. There's, there's amazing things in that journal that, that adult onset diabetes, 90% of it can be cured and reversed with two things, diet and exercise. See, they don't even, they're not even getting into the wonderful herbs that can support the resensitization of the insulin receptors. So, so it gets in the journal, it disappears, and nobody talks about it. And then the next journal comes out, hey, everybody, we're going to use a new new drug now. So it's a shame, um, but it's somehow the, the planetary destiny or karma or whatever of human beings. Um, but here we are, the voice that says, you know, I'm seeing things a little differently. And it's up to each individual now to have to determine if that voice is off-center or limited. So all we can do is try to keep our, our brains and livers healthy and endeavor to think for ourselves. Radical. I have a question from uh, chat. Uh, they're asking me if you, you had, I guess, I guess they found it. I know this person and they're a researcher as well. They found on your site that you had a 199 special for the complete genome. Is that still available, they're asking? Well, since he found it, I think, yes, um, that special ended. <laughs> it's really 249, but I'm going to have okay. to honor it because, um, okay. you know, once it's there, it's there. 
And yeah, so we can do that. I would. I'm not making that decision right now. Um, I right. don't have the advantage that I had when I that was an early responder. But darn, if it's on my website, that's what it's going to be. Yeah, and we get the whole genome. Now keep in mind that's 25,000 genes, and um, it takes about six weeks. So it's not this quick 30-day turnaround like 23andMe and Viome, right. which both those companies now are owned by Big Pharma. And their only purpose is to conduct medical drug development. Um, and again, I think there's so much information in our genes <clears throat> that if the if they got into the hands of um, an insurance company, it could be very much to that person's chagrin that um, because we have differences of opinions. You know, um, you and I have talked before about cholesterol and its one of God's great molecules for the brain and and for protecting our our arteries and protecting our hearts and uh, and how it's universally denigrated and so you could literally have a a company look at certain genes and now put you in a high risk high dollar category mm-hmm. when in fact you're not in a high risk and you're just now being milked for extra money and um, for Anyone who's a movie buff, uh, we've got that what Minority Report, the old Tom Cruise <laughs> movie where they could predict oh, yes. if you were oh, going boy. to uh, yeah. break the law in the future, so they arrest you now yeah. <laughs> before yeah. it happens, and then all the sheeple can live happily munching the grass. And so uh, while that turned into an action thriller um, uh, with AI and your genes, that is. It, it's realizable right now. So I think the the thing we've really got to look at is your genes are you, and it is your predispositions, and it is how your brain works. It is how your mind can interpret reality. All of that is in your genes. And um, you may not want a corporation or an agency uh, profiling you so um, it, I'm just tickled now that um, I've got uh, Dr. Shane Morris, um, who was the driving force on this, and lo and behold, it's the integrity is to the, the individual, the human being, and what you do with your genes, uh, you don't ever have to share your profile with your doctor or your nutritionist or chiropractor or anybody, you can give them the report. <laughs> and and all your your genes and things that are not being discussed are protected. So again, they're encrypted, they're not associated with your name, and you're the only one holding the magic uh, barcode number to uh, get that get that data and, and that your raw data belongs to you. So I I'm, I love this move toward uh, personal freedom, personal integrity, personal right to know, and um, it, it, it's so important now because your your gene code is your sequence of genes is your is your life story. Well, and, that's very um, exciting for me. Yes, we, we will. We've thank you, whoever found that, uh, Chad. Thank yeah, you. Um, yeah, I wasn't here to drum up business, but um, I, I will be glad to do that and honor honor that price and I hope the the process if you can imagine once your sequence is there and it's it's being held on a protected server again no one being able to hack in and, and find it's you 
uh, if there is a hacking, they won't know it's you. But the, the point is, is that then we're looking at other tests. In May, we're going to release the brain cognition, uh, mood, you know, depression, Alzheimer's, anxiety, neurotransmitter cascades. We're going to release that second uh, report. Detox is the first report. And then um, as time goes on, you can see that once your sequencing is done, which is the big expense, you can be running, uh, you know, we hope someday to have, you know, 50 or 100 reports that you can, you can get and very inexpensively. Because, as I said, the hard work's already done. It's just an algorithm. So it's exciting to, to grab this while there's still the, the freedom to grab this. So thank you, well, Chad. Well, that's, that's the exciting point for me is we, we had talked in previous times that we've talked. That's always been my thing is I, I think gene testing is exciting, but I want the information to be mine. I don't want it to be gotten to by anybody and i'm not wearing a foil hat i might have one nearby but i'm not wearing it uh however right now at the um what i'm learning see i'm an older guy so i'm a little bit out of touch with the z generation i'm out of touch even with the millennials my my children were early early millennials but um as i start talking with younger patients um i'm finding out that there's this thing called microdosing of magic mushrooms or that Denver mm-hmm. now allows the psychedelic mushrooms to be over the counter. Anybody can go in and buy them. Yeah. And the, the point here that biohacks that are going around is all based on the science that um, you can improve with this technique, of, uh, that you can improve your brain, improve your life. So a lot of people seem to be doing this. So I'm going to say, okay, hold the phone. There's key genes <laughs> that show us how a person might respond. So if you, someone says, oh, I had a bad experience, I'd say, oh, those are the genes I want to see because I'll bet you they have some SNPs, uh, single nucleotide polymorphisms, SNPs, we call them SNPs. They have some SNPs in these genes that handle um, the regulation of uh, things like the serotonin genes is a big one on this. You ought to know your serotonin genes and we're doing that report in May, end of May, um, you ought to have a look at that, and would that not have maybe some caution about the size of dosing? Or, um, yeah, it, that's exactly <laughs> what that can do. Or that it might not be suitable. You know, what's your chance of having an uncomfortable time? Um, and then you could also ascertain your life experience. If a person's had multiple griefs and uh, a lot of trauma, um, now we can look at genes and that fact, and people can make more intelligent decisions. So you're spot on, Richard. It's your story for you to use, and there's just a wealth of information that can help people in these trends of today. And any goal. So here it comes to being New Year's Eve. And I've had a, I actually had a patient's mother contact me and say, my child has the Asian red face disease uh, genes. Uh, it's also, um, it's called alcohol 
sensitivity, but evidently the kid has a sip of beer and his face flushes red like a lobster. And um, we've known about this. I certainly first learned about this in homeopathy because there's remedies that help people when they have a red face from having a little wine or something. So, you know, I've had patients contact me, well, Jack, what can I drink? I want to get a little tipsy uh, for New Year's and, you know, dance on the table with a lampshade on my head. And now we're able just to hone right in. We go, oh, well, you're going to have trouble with molybdenum, uh, one of the trace minerals the liver needs to process alcohol or zinc or B vitamins. And now that person would know, okay, if I'm going to have that second organic grapefruit and organic vodka drink or something for New Year's and a lampshade that fits, I, I now know what to take before and after so I can minimize the cost to my health of it's time to party. I mean, I'm trying to give a silly, I'm just trying to make something practical out of this where if somebody saw, you know, like the, the phospholipid metabolism, they might not want to uh, try to read all the science uh, about that or learn about the cell membrane, lipid bilayer, and all this kind of stuff. But you look at the gene report and you can say, ah, this is actionable. It says, I have trouble assimilating vitamin D3. That person could then take a lifestyle decision and say, I'm going to get some sunshine between 9 and 10 every morning. I'm going to toast myself 10 minutes on the side, and I'm going to make sure my vitamin D3 is optimal, uh, being made in my skin. They could also look at cholesterol sulfate that's made from sun vitamin D3 on the skin that directly supports the heart health. And so you can start tracking these things down with your genes and know how to take preemptive action. That, that's just so empowering. This is so exciting now for the last couple of years that um, I've really been doing a lot of genetic work uh, and tied in with blood testing and clinical nutrition that a person can be empowered. Knowledge is power. And when you know your weak links and bolster them, you're, you're creating a recipe for a, a long and healthy life. And that's what we're looking for. I think that's a, an excellent end point for now. I can already see that we have to book a part two to really talk about the liver. <laughs> <laughs> well, in depth, I wanted to give someone a practical uh, suggestion. And out of the old Chinese text, we find that the morning greeting used to be, uh, good morning, how's your liver? And, um, and so out of, out of acupuncture and Chinese medicine, they had the great respect. They called the general, uh, the, the liver is the general of the body. It's managing the campaign uh, like an emperor. And um, they had this thing called the liver slap. <laughs> and it, it does over the years seem to work. You take the palm of your hand and you put it right over your liver, which is right under your rib cage on the right side. And uh, most people know kind of where their, their livers are. And the left lobe comes out across midline and sits right under the heart. But on that left side of the rib, you can just take your hand and your arm and hinge at the elbow and open it wide like you're going to give someone a big, big hug and then slap it in and pop that 
pop your chest there you know, like a gorilla with a flat open hand and put that concussive slap, it's a percussive slap, over the ribs. And evidently, the Chinese found that that technique would vibrate the liver. And let's say it shakes a lot of stuff loose and brings blood supply and gets that liver working. So it was good morning, how's your liver? And along with some qigong in the morning, uh, <clears throat> do the old liver slap four or five times, and it actually makes a difference in your liver performance. So anyway, thank you so much, Richard. Thank you. That was really, <laughs> we went many places, but the audience had their seats in the upright position in their trays folded flat. So it was really great. I knew this could happen with us. Um, where do people find out more information about you and your videos and your work? And you still consult one-on-one, -on -one, don't you? Or are you now doing mostly webinars and events? No, I, I, I just can't leave the, the individual one-on-one -on -one because that's really the, the crucible and where, mm -hmm. you, uh, where I can impact one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. So, yes, I, I do do that. I think wellnesswiz.com, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S-W-I-Z.com. I think in the bottom right corner is a, a, a lecture on the liver, and it's called A New Model for Detoxification. Um, so if people didn't get enough of me yakking here on the radio, you can get a, another 45 minutes uh, by clicking on that. There's also the information on how to contact my office, and um, I will know that anybody contacting us in the next couple of weeks that if they want the, the DNA test, that they have the, the discounted price. And uh, there's links there to much more information if, if people enjoyed this chat. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. That was great. All right, everybody, have a great rest of the weekend, and wake up tomorrow and slap your liver. Uh, <laughs> I'll be doing it with you. Take care. I will. Thanks very much. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.